Um, what, what I was going to say when we were talking about the opening is I was just remembering how fun the the Neon Genesis Evangelion opening was with you singing the song every time. <laughs> but I hope this has a good theme song and maybe we should uh, we should restart that hazing. I do <laughs> like this theme song and so I will probably learn it by the end. Awesome. Yeah, we don't get it till the second episode though. Yeah, the first episode is like a prestige format thing. Ooh, it's like cold open. Yes. I did really like the way they did the credits to to Gundam The Origins with uh, that kind of like cinematic style where stuff is still happening while the, the credits are rolling and the song is playing. Yeah, because a lot of people don't watch credits, right? And it gives you a reason to like stick around and see what the what the creators wanted you to see. Welcome everyone to Pen Pen Pals. This is our first episode covering a new series, which we're very excited about. I don't know about the two of you, but I feel like it's a logical progression from what we have been watching. Uh, Brian, what are we going to cover today? We are watching Darling in the Franks, Darling. an original animation series. And this is uh, my second time watching through. Uh, I've watched through once in preparation for covering this. And Ben, you have not seen it at all. I have heard? not. Yeah. Have you heard anything about it? Not, not really. In, until you guys brought it up, this had escaped my radar. And for people like me that aren't familiar with this, I kept hearing it as Darling and the Franks. But this is <laughs> Darling in the Franks, I-N. Um, and I am guessing that the the darling is going to be some sort of woman, and the Franks is going to be some sort of robot. <laughs> Pretty good guesses. It's like he knows anime. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure, like, also you guys have like gone through this. Like, we've probably talked over it, and I'm just remembering stuff. Um, Crypto amnesia. Crypto amnesia. Wow, what a great word. Do you know that one? No, what is that? Can you that that's when there? you think that something is an original thought, but it's actually something you've heard before. So there's like cases of someone like thinks that they've written this song and then they realize oh. it has the exact same melody as this like popular <laughs> song they've heard like hundreds of times. And they're like, God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> I think there was a case with this with the Beatles and like Eric Clapton or something like that. Like one of those people did that. And that, that was their defense was that they... They didn't realize that they had plagiarized this other song. Crypto amnesia. But that shit happens all the time. Uh, okay, so do you have a, a, a pitch, Brian, why we're watching this? I'll just say that uh, Darling in the Franks, uh, it was a very, very polarizing anime. Uh, there's people who are diehard fans and love it. People who love to hate it. I don't know if it's still true anymore, but once upon a time, it like held the record on the anime news network forums for like the highest... Um, comment count. Uh, people just loved to talk about it, whether they hated it or loved it. And part of that was because of the anticipation. It was uh, going to be this like virtual reunion between uh, staff that uh, were formerly uh, Studio Gainax alumni, who had since gone on to being at Studio Trigger and A1 slash Cloverworks. Mm -hmm. So those are the two studios that came together for this. Wait, wait sorry. So, so what are the... Mm -hmm. So one of the studios is Studio Trigger... And the other one is A1, and that's also Cloverworks? Like, it has two yeah. names? A1 was a subsidiary of Cloverworks, but they broke away. There's still a subsidiary of another company like Anaplex, I think, but I'll, I'll double check that. Hmm. Yeah. So, you know, there was very high expectations, and usually high expectations can only lead to disappointment. But um, I feel like they accomplished a lot of what they set out to try to do. Hmm. And, and what, what would you say they were, they were setting out to try to do? I feel like they were trying to create, um, well, it, this is drawing on <laughs> imagery from the show itself, but, you know, two birds that can join and fly together. So the spirit of the show itself, it's not a shonen and it's not a shoujo. They were trying to tell a story that was both and neither at the same time. Hmm. Uh, so they have a main character who's a woman, but they wanted to cast... Uh, with like a masculine voice actor and be sort of like the shonen hero. And then they have another male lead that they did a voice acting cast to be very feminine. And they wanted that character to be sort of like the shonen type character. So it's kind of a, I don't know if I want to say ambitious, but it's a new idea, I guess, for anime. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's kind of giving me um, 
some flashbacks of, of Neon Genesis in that it also sounds like it could almost be like the the metaphor for the creative process too of these like two companies coming together and, and doing oh, this yeah. thing. Yeah. So I wonder if we're going to see some of that same kind of meta commentary stuff. Yeah. Uh, for those who don't know, like uh, those two studios are very well-known studios, but very different studios. Mm-hmm. Uh, Trigger always has great looking anime. The action choreography looks amazing. And most of their titles like have these real diehard followings like Gurren Lagann, of course. Uh, but, you know, real classic shonen kind of storytelling, maybe not uh, too sophisticated in terms of like themes or messaging, but uh, a pretty consistent ride. You know, you kind of know what you're going in for. And it's a very linear story that they usually tell. Uh, A1, on the other hand, much more like slice of lifey, like character or ensemble driven stories. They tend to take a lot of risks with their storytelling. Uh, So it's generally Mm -hmm. not a consistent ride. And probably the best example of that would be like Sword Art Online. Mm -hmm. They try experimental things or just, you know, shot in the dark kind of things. And either they stick the landing or they land on their face. And that's kind of kind of what you got to be down for if you're going to go on that ride. Mm-hmm. So we get a little bit of everything with this. Yeah. And uh, I don't know if I'm going to be stepping on your toes, Alex, but uh, the director, Nishigori, he was kind of like the perfect director for this project because he's had experience with both sides before Darling in the Franks. He had just come off doing something that was pretty successful at uh, Idol Masters. It was like an ensemble girls pop singing very much relationship, comedy, slice of life stuff. Mm-hmm. But then going from that into what was marketed as a mech anime, but I don't really know if it's a mech anime or not. Mm, you said the magic words. Okay, so <laughs> this is, I think, a perfect sequel to, uh, not perfect, there's no such thing as perfect, but it's a great spiritual sequel to Neon Genesis. Because again, we have something that's ostensibly a mech anime. And yeah, sure, it is a mech anime. There is mech combat. And some of it is beautifully animated. But the mech combat is an allegory for more human things. So you just talked about him, the big man. So the director of this uh, also did, I think, the storyboarding and something else. Um, he, He wears a lot of hats when he's in a position of power is Atsushi Nishigori. So his first industry credits uh, came as an in-between artist on the movie for Ah My Goddess. Uh, he worked on FLCL, and he even worked as an in-betweener on Studio Ghibli Spirited Away. Uh, he was trained at Toei Animation, which is famous for, among other things, Dragon Ball. And he found his way to Gainax by 2004 to work on Gunbuster 2, which was, I think, a short that eventually turned into a series, uh, which was like a a sequel to one of Anno's first uh, series, Gunbuster. Uh, At Gainax, he collaborated with Hiroyuki Imaishi, uh, becoming the character designer for Gurren Lagann. Uh, He also worked heavily on the Evangelion film sequels as a key animator, becoming the position as the chief animation director for the most recent film, uh, Evangelion Thrice Upon a Time. Nishiguri joined an A1 or joined A1 Pictures to create the Idol Master animated series. Like you said, Brian, uh, which is follows a J-pop producer who's shepherding uh, the burgeoning careers of several zany and enthusiastic pop idol hopefuls. And that actually evolved out of a uh, an arcade video game, a really popular one in Japan at the time. And now, or, and then in, uh, I don't know when they started working on it, but I assume 2016, 2017, he got the backing and the funding by a producer friend of his to get a lot of talent that he used to work with at Gainax back together to work with the people he wanted to work with to make a new original series. And that series is Darling in the Franks. Darling um, and I think that's a theme that we're going to find over and over uh, looking at Nishigori's motivations is that 
he likes things. He likes working with people. He likes humanity. And so that's a really guiding force in his storytelling. There aren't as many hard rules or rigid structures, at least in the stuff that I've read. He seems to have a very easygoing, flowing way of working with other people. Like yeah. uh, as they go along, Hills change the story to meet even even in this series, as we'll see, to even meet what the audience is liking, not just the people he's creating with. So is this too geeky or is it worth talking about like for the audience that might not know the difference between like key animation and in-betweens? Oh, please. So key animation is like your money shots, like those really great poses for a few select frames in each scene. And then the in-betweens is like the mundane micro movements between this scene and that scene. Mm. Uh, so just a money saving thing is if like, if you've got a, a really good animator, they'll do a lot of the key animation and then you can hire like a smaller studio just to do all the in-betweens because it's just the mundane repetitive stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I guess at that point, you're kind of more copying and tracing and stuff like that versus having to actually imagine the thing and visualize yeah. it, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. Less freehand work. Yeah. Um, just looking at uh, Nishigori's uh, My Animus Anime List page, like, man, he's got uh, an impressive resume because mm -hmm. key animation is all over here. Uh, some of the folks in the audience might recognize uh, Promise Neverland, which was a real dismal downer of a show. <laughs> but like you hold that up next to like Idol Master <laughs> and like it's so diverse. Like like we already said, Gurren Lagan, Kill a Kill, Panty, Stocking, Garter Belt. <laughs> uh, it's all over, you know. And then one the thing that really, really surprised me was key animation on your name. That's insane Ooh, to me. That's a great movie. Uh, and, you know, then he's got, he does have a lot of in-between stuff under his belt, but uh, still fun stuff, like one of ours, Fooly mm -hmm. Cooly. Interesting fella. Yeah, very impressive. Okay, everybody's got a drink. Yeah. Everyone's excited. Yeah. We're all going to take a journey together. Let's all go on a journey. <laughs> Who's going to do okay. the countdown? Uh, ben, you want to do right. it? So we'll do three, two, one, play. So mm -hmm. three, two, one, play. And there's so many great shots in this episode. でも自分自身で踏み出した一歩。もう一度空を飛べるかもしれない。そう思ったんだ。見つけたよ、僕のダーリン。Manic pixie dream girl. <laughs> oh, she's a femme fatale. <laughs> so some stuff is 3D animated, right? But only backgrounds? Or am I crazy? There's a lot that's 3D animated. Okay. Well, I was wrong about who the darling was. Oh, but not by much. <laughs> Just had to mirror it. And you're spot on with the Franks. Yeah. Can you guess why Franks has two X's? Uh, I feel like I guessed this on an earlier thing, but it's okay. the, the chromosomes, right? Mm, I think that's right. It's the Iron Maiden. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember if that comes up again. I don't Dr. Think it Franks has some flowery words. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the first time... They, he mentioned like pistol. I was like, did they just misspell the word like pistol, like for gun <laughs> and the subs? And then, you know, the like stamen stuff came up later. And I was like, okay, <laughs> I guess they did the right pistol. Yeah, their terminology in here is awesome. Okay, so episode one of Darling in the Franks, Alone and Lonesome. Are they talking about the two main characters by that title? We're talking about everyone, man. We're talking about the human condition. We're talking about the goddamn porcupine problem. Mm. Uh, already, we have an animal allegory. Uh, the in our cold open, we talk about uh, the Gian, right, which is this mythological bird mm -hmm. that only has one wing, so a pair of them have to find each other in order to fly. Yeah. Well, I'm not going to name names, but there was a top three anime YouTuber who got very bent out of shape about Darling in the Franks, specifically about the Jian, saying, there's no such bird. 
there's no bird that exists like that. It's like, yeah, of course there doesn't. You're a fucking idiot. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's from Chinese folklore. Okay. Yeah. Mm. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And just like uh, Neon Genesis, right? We start with a bunch of rapid fire kind of high concept imagery. Oh, yeah. We have like a girl in snow. We have our first glimpse of those blue monster things, claxosaurs, but we don't know what they are yet. Yeah. I will say that the claxosaurs look pretty damn good in that one still frame that we get in the beginning. Sure, sure. And yeah. uh, I don't think they actually look that great in the rest of the series. Uh, <laughs> but I, I don't have any evidence of this, but I suspect that that frame was part of like the early concept designs. They hired this mm. artist named Huke that did some really exotic stuff that ended up not getting used. But mm-hmm. uh, in that frame, it looked the claxosaurs looked very insectoid or something. Uh, Nishigori, like the, or the director, he commented on that in in a Japanese interview, and like the original Frank's designs were pretty exotic, like very like Aura Battler, Panzer World Gallant, Five Star Stories looking, and I guess their lead animator came back. It's like, these aren't useful to me. Mm. <laughs> told that it, to the I, director. <laughs> I, I was wondering the the designs kind of reminded me of some of the stuff from FLCL, I guess specifically the like kind of robot dog. And, mm. and when it transforms into the cannon, that's a little bit like the FLCL kind of cannon thing. I don't know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh God, I forgot that character's name. Conti, right? Conti. Yeah, yeah. I can't believe I drew a blank. Yeah. So I guess, Ben, I wanted to ask you about this. Like, how did you experience the cold open? Uh, I think it like it did just kind of go very fast for me. And so I think I was just kind of like, you know, just trying to take it all in. It looked very slick and beautiful. The part where I kind of like felt like I knew what was going on was... Um, once we we got to the lake, that scene, but I but I skipped already. Mm. I guess that that I guess the gossip scene, but still, it's like everyone's talking these terms, and I, mm-hmm. you know, you you can't really. It's hard to figure out what is going on, but but kind of set up that maybe there's some sort of a training school situation, mm-hmm. and these are all the the young recruits. Yeah, yeah, a lot of terminology gets thrown around in there. So these young people are called parasites. I think we get explicitly that the uh, femme characters are pistols and the masculine characters are uh, stamens. And these are the reproductive organs of flowers. Is that right? Pistols and stamens. Yeah, 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 yeah. Before we go too far from the cold open, uh, as someone who's like seen this series 10 times, it really gave me goosebumps. Uh, and like, I was kind of shocked at how much uh, they were revealing just in the first five seconds. Like, oh my God, <laughs> this is uh, pretty important stuff we're flashing by here. Uh, but, you know, if you have no point of reference, then there's nothing spoiled. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's it's very fun for someone who did enjoy the show. Uh, the rewatchability is really nice. Definitely. Yeah, so I really, really liked the uh, the cinematography here. And I'm not a Studio Trigger fan, but I do feel like that this type of choreography that we're seeing is absolutely studio trigger kind of stuff. Uh, just the way that the cameras like zoom in and zoom out mm-hmm. from street level to like above the clouds. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. I loved that scene so much. And just like the shadow eclipsing uh hero and then going up to zero two and the, uh, the fuselage of this jet. One thing that um, I really liked about the animation is their kind of use of um, like kind of simulating like a focus so that like stuff in the background will be blurred. And um, <laughs> yeah, it's just something I haven't seen that much of in, in animation. So it's kind of cool to see that. Well, I'll just say like part of the spirit of this production, having two studios work on uh, an original piece so they're not adapting a manga uh part of the thrill of that not just because it was a reunion sort of project but uh you have very talented animation staff who have their own style but would usually be hired to adapt a manga so they're Mm -hmm. approximating some other artist's style which is Mm. fine but you don't get to see other people's talent shine and in this case we get to see like the collective talent uh of these professionals like really work their craft 
Uh, mm -hmm. But it also comes out in the storytelling as we'll uh, probably explore later on in the conversation. Yeah, and that seems to be explicitly the direction Nishigori wanted to go from the stuff that I've read. Like, he very much wanted it to be a collaborative process. Like, he had a vision and he wanted to, you know, he had uh, the directorial uh, authority to okay and nix things, but he definitely wanted to listen to everyone on the staff. Yeah, so I'll just give us an overview and you can jump in if there's something that stuck out at you. We got a loner in the woods. He's uh, reflecting mm -hmm. on the fable of the Gian, the, the one-winged bird looking for a partner. It's mm -hmm. some sort of text message or something from team leader Ichigo. I guess some bummer sad shit is going down. And that's when we get our shadow eclipse scene and the camera zooms way up. I guess uh, Zero Two has really good eyesight. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. She looks down with a... I don't know if it was mischievous or sinister smile, like found one. Yeah, and the uh, there's some great subtle imagery there. So the uh, Zero Two and Dr. Franks, and I think, who's the other person in that? Is it Nana? Nana? Yes, Nana. Nana right, they say? Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, Nana, they're all coming in on this cargo ship, which I think got the that design of cargo ship got popularized in Gundam. It's also been used in Final Fantasy VII. And the bottom of it explicitly has this cross on it, right? Mm. Which is a favorite uh, uh, symbol for resurrection among a lot of uh, storytellers. And so he looks up. He's like coming to terms with this failure and he looks up and he sees... <laughs> like, like she sees him, but he just sees this false eclipse that looks like another chance, a resurrection. Awesome. So we cut from that to uh, gossip in the ranks. There's some young people talking about Hero mm. and a recent failure. Uh, I really like the camera angle here. All we see is just a variety of different feet and voices. Uh, this is something that's now coming from the A1 side of things. This is like a very slice of life style of uh, introducing character personalities. And it seems funny to uh, suggest you can get a idea of someone's personality by watching their feet, but it's actually kind of informative. Hmm. Uh, just something to think about, especially when you look at stuff like uh, K-On or like sound euphonium, stuff like that. Are you trying to get me to look at feet more? Yeah, man, dude, feet are the thing. <laughs> oh, so yeah. you're a footman. <laughs> well, I've been Good on the know. receiving end of that kind of, uh, never mind. Anyway, back to the story. <laughs> Brian has beautiful feet is what we've just learned. And actually, uh, for the listeners, he's now got his foot up on the camera and he's uh, dangling his toes. It's quite an arch. You should have been a dancer. I had a podiatrist. It was a special relationship. <laughs> Didn't go anywhere. Anyway, uh, some of the rumors are about a partner killer. Uh, and again, like I said, heroes, supposed failure. Yeah. And, and so they're all saying partner killer, almost like it's like a slang thing or like it has mm. some specific meaning or are they saying literally? I, I was kind of confused by that. Well, what is the rumor exactly? There's a mystery pilot and three rides with this person and the partner dies that mm -hmm. uh, this person is going to like suck up all their blood, <laughs> like some vampire thing, uh, which mm -hmm. that's how Dracula worked, right? Like three times and then you, boom, that's it. Yeah. She's got the fangs. Yeah. So then we cut from there to not exactly adults uh, gossiping this time, but they have some kind of speculation about uh, the welcome ceremony and like, why is this special pilot being brought here of all places with this misfit group? So we have a special pilot arriving. And for whatever reason, this group that she's joining are not the norm, uh, but we don't know why. So it's actually a special pilot joining a special group. Yes. And before we can get any more, uh, the scene gets interrupted because uh, Zero Two has run off which seems insane because they're on this floating escalator and it's like 80 feet. <laughs> she's, she's a lady on a mission and she goes and finds a lake, right? Yeah. Uh, so we cut from that back to hero and he's still out in the woods and he sees this pond or something and he's stymied. He's like, I never knew there was a place like this here. Well, have you not, been here long uh have you just never like wandered around where it is that you live mm -hmm. yeah. see this gets to my speculation about the title that uh zero two is alone but hero is lonely 
Mm. I, I feel like that kind of sets it up in this almost fairy tale way of like, you know, you stumble upon that clearing in the woods that like, you know, you've walked these woods a thousand times, but mm. huh, what's this weird place? That's yes. awesome. And he's just had this experience with, uh, he found a bird that crashed into the glass at the dome at the edge of whatever he's living in. Mm-hmm. Uh, he feels like he may be that bird without a place to go, right? Yeah. Uh, and then, man, it is fairy tale because jumping out of the water is like this lady in the lake, this like oh, yeah. meeting with the goddess experience. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think actually when she said found one, she wasn't referring to Hero, but rather the fish that uh, she got from the lake. Ooh. <laughs> that, all right, you're jumping ahead here, Ben. This show is actually about the fish. Okay. But it's like he had that whole monologue and like, I mean, I guess the horns would be notable. Her nudity would be notable, but completely skipped over the fact that she had a fish in her mouth. (laughs) You've seen that before. (laughs) I read an interview where they were talking about setting up this scene and it's, he said they took a while, but they got like what they wanted to go for endearing and frightening at the same time. And that's how they settled on grabbing Uh, the fish out of the water. It it does sort of remind me of the, um, uh, I think we were talking about this, the like Bakemono no Monogatari. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that has a kind of similar sexy, creepy, powerful character. That's the one we watched, Alex, with the long sleeves. Anyway, we can cut this. Long <laughs> I want to hear more What's about that? long sleeves. <laughs> it, it's the one where they're like trapped in the, the room and he has to figure out what's going on. Oh, yeah, that really trippy one with the Technicolor backgrounds. Yeah, yeah. So, so what was it you said that they were going for? What was the combination? Uh, endearing and frightening. And I bet these two characters do share a lot of uh, traits. Okay, okay so, so he's seeing a naked girl for the first time. See, that's weird to me because I don't remember the first time seeing a naked girl because like when you're kids, nudity doesn't mean anything. Mm-hmm. Like, am I alone here? Like, do you, re- do you remember the first time seeing a naked girl? I mean... I think so, or at least like first time after I was like five or something. But anyway, this is just, uh, I'm, I'm sort of geeking out here because like, I studied uh, uh, epistemology last year and I was learning the difference between proof and evidence. Like proof is conclusive, but evidence is suggestive. And I feel like uh, we don't know anything really about this hero character yet, but mm-hmm. he doesn't know. He's never seen this pond where he lives. He's never seen mm-hmm. a naked girl before. Uh, I just feel mm-hmm. like... Does this guy not really get out much? Does he have a memory problem? I don't know. Something's going on. Is he hitting the head. I can't. I can't tell if you're like, uh, like doing some foreshadowing here. Right. <laughs> no. It's like gonna turn out he's grown in a lab or something like that. Okay, and... I'll spoil it. There's a fish named Darling that's gonna end up piloting <laughs> this robot. So, so we we get a lot of a lot of fan service here, right? And this mm-hmm. is the second time there was already the the kind of gratuitous ass grab, which I mean, maybe you can argue it's not gratuitous because we're mm-hmm. setting up that old dude as a. As a sleaze bag or whatever, but then this is kind of very, um, very fan servicey. Very much so. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I would believe that uh, not only was Trigger doing a lot of the animation, but uh, may have been leading like the storyboarding for this as well. And and I assume that there's good financial reasons to do this. That there's some some portion of the audience that this is what they're interested in. Then you're going to sell some figurines and. You know, you want to make that iconic character. Though, though it seems like, I mean, in a world where you can have skin-tight bodysuits, I mean, I feel like Evangelion didn't have any problem doing that kind of in a more sensical way. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but I guess the lady in the lake is naked, so maybe this is just more... Okay. Oh, more okay. So I'm going to get us started on uh, a debate that's probably going to last several episodes. Um, I'm going to argue that the lake scene is not fan service. I will say that there's a, a lot of fan service, not just in this episode, but following episodes. And I'll say that when we see uh, Zero Two getting back into her Franks uh, after it got smashed, and like mm-hmm. all we're seeing is a big old ass shot as she's crawling back in, I think that's fan service, mm-hmm. right? And then the camera angles where we like get to see some woman's ass in the foreground as the characters are talking in the background, that's fan service. Mm-hmm. But 
when I'm looking at Zero Two's posture and the way she stands and walks and carries herself, I'm not seeing sexualized positions. I'm seeing a naked woman. But but I mean, like, I mean, we, we do have the trope, too, of the, like, you know, like, her on top of him. and Yeah. It's very sexually provocative. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to take the synthesis approach uh-huh. and say that this is fan service, uh-huh. but Nishigori is trying to storytell at the same time. I agree with you, Brian. Her The way she carries herself, the way she reacts to her own nudity and his reaction of her nudity tells us something about this character. Mm-hmm. We're, we're, we're <laughs> learning about Hero and we're learning about Zero Two, but... It is still, well, you know. When you say it tells us something about the characters, that's my distinction. I think mm. that fan service is something that if it was gone, it would not affect the story and would not influence the character development in any way. It's just mm. for the fans. Well, they definitely could have shot this scene where it did not have the implied, as much implied nudity because they're very careful, right? Like her, her hair covers her nipples yeah, and stuff. Yeah, kind of have to do that though, right? No, you absolutely do not. You can tell you can shoot that scene in a number of ways that do not do what they did. Well, it's a bit, if it's on TV, maybe you're saying they could have shown the nipples. No, I'm saying they didn't have to have they didn't have to have the camera complete like start oh, on her oh, all the time. Oh, oh, I see what you're There's saying. There's a whole bunch could of stuff done you could that, have like, done. See his shoulders and her face, kind of a like one of those shots. Absolutely. You can do it from his perspective and do a glimpse and then he puts his hand over his eyes. There's a whole bunch of things you could do instead of explicitly show this body for 30 seconds at least. Okay. I agree with that. (laughs) It kind of makes me want to ask some other questions, but uh, (laughs) we can save that for later. Okay. We've got some passion going. So where are we in the story? We go to the- So um, we have the naked scene. Uh, She says, you're just like mm me. And uh, she licks him. Mm-hmm. And my speculation is that when she does that, uh, she recognizes something. Mm. Uh, she says, like, would you prefer a kiss? And he does not know what a kiss is. What the fuck? He doesn't know about this pond in his backyard. He's never seen a naked girl. He doesn't know what a kiss is. So behind the time. What's going on there? He's a failure. Okay. <laughs> I, I was trying to interpret that. Is it that he doesn't know what a kiss is or he just like hesitates and then she's like what you don't know what a kiss is she says that's right like you parasites or whatever like you don't Mm. know what a kiss is she seems to have like why is a kiss exclusive knowledge and she knows Mm. that these other people don't know what that is so not only is she physically uh unique from the other people we see but also she has special knowledge that the other characters do not have okay Well, and we do learn at the end of the episode that she has Klaxisar blood in her, right? Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, a great teaser, right? Yeah, so uh, she asks if uh, he wants to be her darling. And I think that's kind of a maybe homage to uh, Urasai Yatsura. Oh my God, heavy homage. And before the conversation go, can go anywhere, she says our time's up. The officers that she came in with have been looking for her. And I I did think one thing that was interesting is, so that happens right before they touch hands, right? So we've already had this kind of like more explicit thing of like her lying on top of him and Mm -hmm. licking him. But uh, it's kind of the more intimate can like mutual thing that that's the one that's that's interrupted mutual you said the operative word i totally agree with you all right and to me this is part of the theme of the show what is intimacy is nudity Mm. intimacy Mm. is licking someone intimacy or is there something else no that is a great question yeah that's a that's a wonderful emergent theme so hero is getting (laughs) dragged by the shoulder (laughs) Uh, and he sees the dead bird. He sees he was, mm. I, I presume he was looking for it to like help it and maybe nurse it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is potentially a bad omen because he was identifying with it uh, and it's dead. But that's okay. He's not a bird. Yeah. He gets another chance. Yeah. So then we see that this place, wherever they are, uh, is some kind of mega fortress called mm-hmm. Sarasus. And we are cutting to this welcome ceremony that some of these characters were talking about earlier. And holy crap, mm-hmm. it's gigantic. And um, there's a little bit of narration from Hero, and you can also, it's intermingled with the voice of Papa. Uh, whoever this like Pope looking 
masked motherfucker is motherfucker and he says some fucked up shit man uh like both of them they're talking about piloting is our one purpose in life you exist solely to fight uh if you can't do this you have no value and then papa's saying some really intense stuff about all your blood and glory <laughs> it's very it's like so roman-esque or something uh so then we see the other i guess pilots that aren't failing mm-hmm. Uh, and they are like linked by a ring with their pinky fingers, which is strange. Uh, Ichigo, the purple haired girl, is like looking up with childlike wonder. They seem very young to me in this scene. I think her hair is blue. Okay, yeah. Sorry to derail. No, we're good. Anything on that? Like, we're going to cut to this exit interview scene. Uh, has like this like star chamber vibe to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, each uh, hero has a chance to like stick around where the norm seems to be that you're shuffled off. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure why his partner, Naomi, is not given the same offer to stick around, especially because it seems like he was the one that was at fault for their failure, not her. Yeah, I think that there's some uh, uh, conspiratorial stuff happening, and yeah. which I think has to do with um, the metal face guy, Dr. Frank. Yeah, but uh, Naomi takes it real hard, and it seems like she really does know what is happening next, and maybe Hero doesn't. Mm. Because she's got this suitcase with all of her belongings, and she doesn't need it. <laughs> Wherever it is mm-hmm. she's going... Uh, it has no use. Uh, so that seems grim. Mm-hmm. But we get, uh, uh, which I think will be an emergent theme that'll keep coming up, is uh, uh, when you don't have use or you've given up, you can still give something back or give mm-hmm. something to the next generation. Mm. So she decides to say, you know, I don't need this. Share it with all the people we've been with, right? Share it with our classmates, yeah. the other pilots. So just a little aesthetic observation. This again is a, a good, really cool studio trigger thing. When they're on the platform waiting for Naomi's ride to take her out of there, man, there's these really great shots of Hiro and Naomi standing at a distance and we get them from several different angles. And each time they are on opposite sides of the frames. Uh, it's really great. I guess it kind of feels like the combination of this and the speeches, you know, where we're setting this up as a very harsh world. Mm, mm-hmm. Definitely. What's the, like, almost like uh, kind of like Mad Max vibes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe it looks like there's a whole bunch of desert outside of where they live, like the fortresses. So maybe like a re-scarcity future. Mm-hmm. So we're cutting back and forth from this scene of the two of them on the platform to the rest of the pilots, like on a transport train of some kind. And Mm. uh, Ikeno, the one with purple hair and glasses, is saying, I've never heard of a parasite returning home before. And they're Mm -hmm. talking about going back to the orphanage. And then Naomi, they cut from there to Naomi saying, my opportunity has passed us by. And like, what are you talking about? Poor Naomi. Yeah. Oh, so and we get another harsh cut scene to zero to somewhere on a very high elevation saying, I smell a claxosaur and gets this like weird smile on her face. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're just about ready to uh, resolve the welcome ceremony. And Papa is saying with this, because like, they're about to launch these Franks, you will become an official, you'll become official parasites. And then something crazy starts to emerge. And we find out that it's a Moho class Claxosaur, which is something that mm. looks something like a T-Rex. And uh, these two like sort of blue fins jut out of the rock and the mobile plant thing that Naomi got on is just destroyed. Yeah. It just bounces like a pinball among the boulders and then is crushed. And we never get another shot of it in the episode. So I assume she's dead. That's that. Uh, and then we get to mech fight. And this is what uh, I'm sure a lot of the, the fans were, were looking for again, studio. This is where studio trigger shines. Uh, there's chaos uh, Hero is running along the platform and there's this massive like plume of dust behind him. And in the plume of dust, you see this dark shadow with glowing eyes of like a tiger or something running. And then there emerges uh, this weird like tiger mech thing fighting this robot T-Rex, <laughs> uh, you know, and it's 
uh, stark black with blue highlights on this Klaxosaur against the white with red highlights. It's pretty visually striking. Yeah, the first time I saw uh, it's Streletzia, right? Mm-hmm. That we're seeing for the first time. Yes. I thought maybe I had accidentally put on an episode of Zoids. But <laughs> thankfully, that was not the case. Yeah, I did get Zoids vibes. So there's an exchange of blows. The Streletzia tiger thing, I call it stampede mode, is knocked up into the air. And uh, it's this weird perspective shot. The thing's gigantic, but it looks small from hero's eyes until it starts mm-hmm. getting closer. It becomes really, really big. <laughs> and he sort of like runs left, runs right. But he gets out of the way. He's okay. He has a lot of near misses <laughs> in this chaos. Excellent runner. Yeah, it's, it's like a lot of like Bruce Willis diehard getting thrown in the air and riding debris and stuff like that. Yeah. But, you know, the, the, the Franks... Uh, lands on hit the platform he's on, uh, the hatch opens, and that guy w- looked like an older pilot with gray hair mm-hmm. falls out and is dead or dying. He's gone. <clears throat> Forget about him. Mm-hmm. He's done. And there's Zero Two. And we've seen the other pilot suits that are all white, but hers is just red. She is the woman in red. Mm. And also covered in blood. Yeah. It's great. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, they have kind of an interesting exchange. Um, Hero is sort of discovering this resolve to like pilot with her. Mm -hmm. Not really sure what's going on in his head, but like he either grabs the badge on his uniform or is grabbing his heart. It wasn't clear to me, uh, but he was just saying like, you can't pilot alone. Mm -hmm. I'll do it. Even though like this is the partner killer. And if he does, like, he's likely going to die. Yeah, this is his one chance. Naomi just sacrificed herself unknowingly so that he could have this chance. It's also strange because it seemed like he maybe didn't have the aptitude to pilot because he's a he's a washout. He's a fail. Yeah. But now he's doing it like jumping ahead. We see that in some way, shape or form, he is successful. Like they do pilot. They Mm -hmm. become the form that they're supposed to take and defeat the monster. Yeah, and this was kind of set up in the lake scene, right? Because he tells her, you know, I'm this failure, I can't do it. And she's like, no, I can awaken it in you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, getting into the cockpit, it's a very interesting interaction. And to me, this was very intimate, much more intimate than being naked and licking someone's cheek. Right. It's beautiful. Uh, like in the at the lake, they are alone, but they're out in the open. Right. Yeah. Uh, whereas this, she pulls him into the cockpit and they're really alone. Yes. No one can see them. Yeah. And the way she leads this, I haven't seen a human cry in quite a long time. It's making mm. my heart race. Let me get a taste of you. After all, you are my darling now. Like, dang, buddy. He's getting in the robot. <laughs> Darling. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think it's around here too. We kind of have the music really switch and, and we're kind of going from this chaotic combat thing to kind mm-hmm. of like this feeling of like the hero is here. It's happening. Yeah. You know, it was very much like the, you know, the scene in, in Evangelion where it goes into berserk mode or whatever. And then, yeah. The music had that kind of like kind of classic timeless sort of feeling to it. Yeah, this reminded me of a lot of these things. It reminded me of like super robot anime when they like go into their like resplendent mode and they're really going to blow the shit out of something or like uh, Power Rangers when something goes Megazord. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm sure there's like some Dragon Ball Z stuff that you could throw in there. But uh, we're going to get into a little bit of my criticism mode here. So, you know, Nishigori, the ambition of this project was to do this bridging of like two different worlds, like not just two different studios, but two styles, like bridging shonen and shoujo styles. And the idea was like something that everyone can enjoy, (laughs) which sometimes that can work Mm -hmm. out. Uh, But other times there's going to be some things that are going to be a groan to some people and a groan to others. Like I think people who really liked like panty stocking garter belt are probably going to groan at the, uh, you know, emotional character development relationship stuff. And then the folks who were more into the A1 slice of life things are probably going to groan when we get a lot of robots all of a sudden getting tits and a big ass and like the big triumphant Dragon Ball music. And I groaned, <laughs> but I understand like, like if you're a big, huge fan of Gurren Lagann and that's fine, 
that's probably what you came for. Yeah. Right? And like, good for you, man. Go get it. I, I thought that was less cheesy than just like the tiger fighting the dinosaur. Oh, yeah. I, I was kind of like, yeah, I don't know. I was like, what are we doing here? What? <laughs> this, I, didn't, I don't know what it was. Like you mentioned Zoids. It was a little bit like, this like my association was like Digimon or something like that. It was just kind of like <laughs> really like a dinosaur and like the robot looks like a tiger. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, and I got Echoes of Neon Genesis, but a reversal to show us that this is not, this is a sequel. Well, maybe spiritually, but this is not that show because uh, whereas Shinji gets in the robot and then it goes berserk and saves him, which is more like the stampede mm. uh, tiger mode. Instead, when Hero gets in the robot, it actually becomes its composed form. Mm-hmm. Mm. And we see that Zero Two is getting something out of Hero as a partner that she wasn't getting from the other partner. Yeah. yeah. And, but we also, we do have the same thing of the like, he just kind of like passes out and doesn't know. And, and kind of there's some other thing that has taken over, whether it's just her or what. And they're really teasing. I assume that somewhere down the line, we will get to see what is actually happening inside this thing. And I'm wondering if it's going to be some really like disturbing shit. (laughs) It's going to be great. (laughs) So um, it did have one of my favorite things in mech anime and that's one mech sized buttons. So like, Strelatia has a spear, and on the spear is a button for the mech to press. Love it. And it also had uh, a giant cartridge. So it like uses some attack, and then it expels this cartridge, which is gigantic, yeah. just like the giant shotgun shells from FLCO. Yeah, I really did enjoy that. Uh, I, mm. I do want to moderate my earlier criticism. So like a, a lot of what we're going to see on this ride is homage to earlier anime from the 80, mm-hmm. like 70s and 80s. And if you're old enough to recognize it, it'll be pretty fun. But um, on the the A1 fan side of the crowd that was watching this, there was a lot of criticism about like sexy robots. Mm. And I, I get it, you know, but it's not something unique to Darling in the Franks. Like I've seen sexy robots in the 80s. Like it's a pretty well-worn trope. Well, and is is it criticism like, why does it need boobs? That doesn't make sense from like a military <laughs> standpoint or like, yeah. Yeah, I mean, like when I when I saw Streletsia emerge, I was like, oh, this is like Gal Force. This is like, um, what's that other fucking one? Fight Eiser One. In what way? Like these robots with hips and breasts that are badass. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, this is the shonen fantasy, I guess. Mm-hmm. It's still not why I'm watching the show, but I guess I get it. So like when I heard the the complaints that were sort of echoing what was going on in my head, then I got a little defensive. I was like, this is the thing though. Just like in Zero Two, we see references to a few different earlier anime characters. She's a composite of influences. I think the same thing is true of the mechs. Sure. And, you know, it's eventually, there's going to be a story about sex and relationships. And I guess it just makes sense to me that all of the pieces that we're using to build this story are going to sort of point in that direction. Yeah. And, and so there might be a kind of metaphor aspect to it being this mm-hmm. kind of powerful feminine figure. I, I, I do want to make a little, like I said, a little prediction or just kind of my, um, where it feels like it's going to me not having watched this before is maybe like Neon Genesis Evangelion. It seemed like that, you know, the thing that, took the the robot into that berserk mode mm-hmm. i think we concluded was kind of a mother's love or something like that right and so that oh. was the theme of that show was like parental love seemed like flcl the thing was kind of like teenage emotions and love and horniness and whatever but it was kind of very much the the lone individual's experience of those things. Right. How overwhelming they are. Yeah. yeah. And then this seems to me that it's like, a, this might be a losing your virginity metaphor show and, and kind of like the intimacy and, and love of like your first sexual relationship or something like that. And that- Yeah, totally. So maybe I'm missing a step when I say this is a sequel to Neon Genesis. This is a sequel to FLCL, which is in <laughs> itself a sequel to Neon Genesis. Well, so Ben, I want to read you the lyrics uh, to the song that played at the beginning of the episode and, and at the end. <laughs> they're, in, they're in English. 
And when you hear them, yeah. I want to see if it changes your perspective about what you just said. So, um, so this is the, the song called Vanquish. Mother used to say, you are so special. No one will shine as bright, my dear. Will I tire of slaying endless beasts that hunt them? Will the killing rid me of these horns that disgust them? Little demon in the forest all alone. You were there. Now I remember. Yes, you were there. Come with me now. So ride on, my darling. Here comes the sun. It won't shine on us forever. You touched my heart. So ride on, my darling. We can win the fight and vanquish my fear. I'm, no. I'm at a loss. Nothing? I... Okay, that's cool. <laughs> no, I don't think that changes anything, but cool lyrics. Okay, that's fine. So um, this is playing, and we get this dialogue. Some of it is voiceover. Some of it is dialogue in the background. But Hero's basically mm-hmm. saying, uh, this is after the fight, he doesn't remember what happened. So that's weird. Mm. Uh, then Nana is informing the rest of the pilots, like, that pistol the partner killer. Uh, She's from a special forces unit controlled by ape. Mm -hmm. And uh, as she like trails off in that description, we get back to zero two who is not passed out and just sort of reveling in post battle bliss, I guess. And Mm -hmm. she is saying to herself, I found you, my darling. And that's how we close. You've already sort of given us your speculation, but uh (laughs) <laughs> no, it's a dumb question. I won't ask it. Never mind. <laughs> no, ask it. Ask it. Where do you think it's going, man? How's this going to end? Um, hmm. If I were a betting man, which I guess I am because I'm saying this, uh, I think she is going to die at the end. I don't know why. I'm just getting, getting that feeling. Um, I think maybe because they set her up as the partner killer doesn't feel like he is going to die for some reason. And to the bird, like, like they're setting up, they're setting up some death shit pretty hard (laughs) in this first episode. Yes, they are. Excellent prediction. That's good. And you know, there are a lot of surprise deaths in anime. I think too, that's a thing that would make a series controversial. I think that's a thing fans really don't like, you know, it's like, death of Eris in Final Fantasy VII. Like, if you really want to rile people up, kill their their favorite character. Yeah. yeah. The girl they're in love with. Yeah. <laughs> so, Alex, this is your second time around. Uh-huh. Any observations or insights this time that you didn't yeah. have first time? Oh, definitely. Not a lot that I can share specifically because they're spoilery, ah. right? But there are very... There's a lot of subtle shots okay. of, like... A character looking at another character. Sorry, Ben, go ahead. I was going to say, we could do a thing where, since I kind of want to hop off anyway, you guys oh. could do a spoiler session without me. We'll oh, right. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's try to do that. Um, so I had one quote that I wanted to read from Nishigori from an interview, if that's okay. And then we can do a sign off and let you go. Is that okay? Yeah, does that work? Is that cool, yeah. Brian? Yeah, man. Okay, cool. So I was looking at as many uh, interviews as I could uh, from Nishigori on Darling and the Franks. And I'm sure most people who have looked have found this one, uh, which was for Crunchyroll. I don't know who actually did the interview, but I really liked this quote from it. uh, And I've paraphrased it a little bit just to avoid some soft spoilers. So I didn't want to depict everything logical and convenient as beautiful people with their complications or when someone tries to do too much for another and it backfires. That is extremely human in my opinion. That's what I wanted to show in this anime. I wanted viewers to think that being only human is perfectly fine. Interesting. Yeah, you don't need to have half Klaxus or blood. You don't need to have horns. You don't need to have anything. Well, another prediction, and I feel like this is sort of based on what Brian said. Is he half Klaxosaur? <gasps> dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Get this guy out of here. Get this guy out of here. All right, all right. Pen. Pen. Pals. Darling. Darling. <laughs> <laughs> Worked out really well. All right. into the spoiler section. Oh, spoilers. Yeah. Okay. 
So what's on your mind? So there's uh, there are some really cute, subtle establishing shots, which uh, knowing what comes later, I don't know if it's like they reviewed their footage and they're like, oh, we showed this. So why don't we, because it's already subliminally in people's heads because we showed it visually, we'll uh, go down that storyline. But there's a shot where Ikuno looks at Ichigo mm. and, you know, there's going to be something there. And the way that Ichigo and Goro, mm-hmm. the way that they interact is already like, oh, she's not paying as much attention to him as the other pilots are paying attention to their partner. Yeah. And after, oh, I remember when I first watched this and I started texting you like, oh my gosh, this is cool. Oh my gosh, who's zero two? I had a prediction which came true, but with one added element, I thought that zero two was a combination of Ray and Asuka. Mm both in her character design and her, like, even her name, Zero Two. Uh, Ray's uh, Evangelion was Zero Zero, uh-huh. and, or Unit Zero, and uh, what's her name? Asuka's was Unit Two. So it's like the combination of the two of them, even in the name. Yeah. But I think it's Ray and Asuka with Lum thrown in there. Yeah, I would go along with that. And I don't know if I still think this or not, but the, my first time watching through... Uh, we, we don't really see it a lot in the, in episode one, but uh, we get to see Zero Two's formal uniform more later. And to me, it was just like screaming Char, Char Aznable. Oh. Uh, which, I mean, I got a kick out of that. Um, anyway, maybe it's... That's awesome. Yeah, maybe it's not There's as... There's definitely a Red Comet vibe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. So, I don't know if this belongs in spoiler stuff or not. I feel like maybe, but... Um, I was watching a YouTube channel is this Japanese linguist and uh, he would do a segment where he would watch an anime someone recommended and give his insights on like the use of the Japanese language and how that would inform a Japanese audience and how it might be lost on Western audiences. And he was mm-hmm. saying that the way zero two talks, um, I don't know if it's like conjugations exactly, but he said it's the way it's a, a masculine way of talking. Mm. Like the way she would frame things or phrase things was not associated with how women would speak, mm. but like she comes off as like the masculine role. And then mm-hmm. when I read the interview in uh, Animate Times, the voice actors that Nishigori was going for, looking for a masculine female to voice Zero Two and a feminine voice actor to voice hero. I was like, oh, okay. They're, they're playing with gender roles. Which is something that we're going to keep doing. Mm-hmm. And I guess this probably is a spoiler because like later we get this little Easter egg uh, when they're going in the, looking for books in the library, they pull out uh, Willa Shakespeare. It's this like gender bent Shakespeare book. Oh, uh, I didn't notice that. Yeah. That's awesome. I was like, okay, I guess there's something here. Yeah. But like as, Oh my gosh, this is so super spoilery. As we get to know the nines later on, they were only referenced in the end credits of episode one, like the special forces unit controlled by ape. Uh, We'll Mm -hmm. see a little bit more gender bent bending kind of roles uh, when we get introduced to them. I can't wait to get to them and to be disappointed by the lack of coverage. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Every time. Have you, did you, you've watched interviews with Nishigori? Yes. Doesn't Futoshi look a yeah. lot like Nishikori. Yes, he does. <laughs> <laughs> Which makes me like super sad that like his kind of storyline, his is one of the ones that like got dropped off. Like yeah. Ikuno's kind of dropped off and just like, you know, uh, wrapped up at the end. So I'm like, oh, it's like Nishigori doesn't get to tell the full story he wanted to tell, yeah. which is so sad. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know if we mentioned this, like, just from the production uh, side of things, like, Act 4 got abbreviated or rushed or something. And mm-hmm. I think there was a lot of things that were being planned uh, that just didn't get to come to fruition, as you mentioned, like, Futoshi's backstory. But, you know, like, when we flash forward to, like, their sort of reconstruction blues, uh, I really thought that... Uh, like future Futoshi was going to be like this hard ass guy, you know, like he was big and chubby as a kid. And I thought he was going to be big and fucking bulked out as an adult, uh, just like helping rebuild physically rebuild things. 
Mm-hmm. But, you know, things are different. We don't get everything we want. We don't. We get some of them, though. That's a good lesson to learn, too. Um, the other research thing that I had for this uh, had to do with the music. Uh, this is probably, like, my favorite anime soundtrack ever. And uh, the composer for Darling in the Freaks, Asami Tachibana. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm just so in love with her work. And I think this is maybe just like a cultural thing, but um, I guess those who do the soundtrack for like anime and video games in Japan, mm-hmm. they're not called composers. And I think, cause maybe in that culture, that's sort of just strictly associated with like classical music. But mm-hmm. uh, so I learned a new Japanese word, uh, Gekitomo. So Asami Tachibana, my favorite uh, Gekitomo artist. And what I was reading about Gekitomo was that, you know, it's just a very comfortable uh, space to blend things. Like if you want to blend an actual live orchestra with synthesizers that are also doing like strings and brass mm. Uh, mm-hmm. or blend uh, like cultural influences with the modern or experimental influences. Like in terms of a musical genre, it's just a really safe place for a lot of innovation, experimentation, juxtaposition Mm -hmm. and i love it i'm looking forward to uh producing a little piece of music for our show here oh my gosh i can't wait to hear this fucking theme song yeah yeah that'll be great (laughs) 